Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, he's a two-time U.S. national champion, Pan-American gold medalist, mountain bike athlete, and entrepreneur. It's Jeremiah Bishop. How are you doing today, Jeremiah? Hey, Alex. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, yeah, it's it's really it's really been a wild uh, wild ride, and I've learned a lot. You know, from when I started as a bike racer and now doing a bunch of other neat projects, it's it's been super cool. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what did you like doing growing up? Well, I'm from Harrisonburg, Virginia now, and I've lived here for the last 25 years. So the bulk of my, you know, professional career. Uh, but I grew up in Baltimore County, Maryland, in a welfare family, single mom, three kids, uh, surrounded by crazy influences. I mean, there are kids in our neighborhood, like, you know, getting in all kinds of trouble. I got in a little bit of trouble too, as a kid. Um, but we, we sort of found, yeah, that there were like paths that you could choose, you know? And I started to gravitate towards some of the kids that like to do creative things and, um, building bikes and putting bikes together. That was one of our hobbies and playing Dungeons and Dragons was another hobby and playing sports. You know, we play like tag football. We play flag football. We play um, badminton, basketball, soccer, everything you can imagine. And, you know, I always felt like as long as we were busy doing something and we had a goal, you know, like when we were doing sports, we never got in trouble. And it was really amazing. I remember the day quite clearly, a friend of mine um, got a new red mountain bike, like brand new from the shop, this Trek mountain bike. And I'd ridden some clunky bikes and I had a BMX bike and it was pretty good, pretty good riding. But I hopped on this thing and it had all these gears and these amazing brakes. And there's a steep hill you could never ride up it in my backyard with a normal bike, but it had these knobby tires and dropped it down to the lowest gear and you could just spin and just crank all the way up it like a roller coaster my eyes just lit up (laughs) and i was like what could i ride with this and it was like this spark like i don't know i mean it must have been just like when when someone first discovered gunpowder you know it's like okay there's okay okay Okay, so I started to find some steps. I rode down the biggest, steepest trail, you know, that we would run down and over some roots. And, you know, you just start to see what you can get away with. And if that's not just been like full circle to seeing what we can get away with, you know, here like 30 years later, it's like, it's awesome. It's awesome. And I am really, really lucky to be able to take a passion and turn it into a career. And I say lucky. I mean, I guess it's just a gratitude thing, right? I'm I'm feel really a lot of gratitude for that. But luck is probably not the word. I was freaking obsessed. I mean, some of my friends, uh, you know, like, yeah, I remember when when you were, you know, 18, you would call me at like eleven o'clock at night to go riding. <laughs> what do you what do you mean? What are you talking about? Like I literally would call my friends. I would ride before school. I would ride after school. I would ride after dinner, like finish homework. Okay, we're going to go ride under the lights, drop some stairs. Like it did not matter the time of day. I was obsessed. And I think that just like that drive and that obsession 
you know, it was me kind of channeling my ADD. Maybe it was also me running away from some of the childhood, like bullshit I had to deal with, you know? Um, but regardless, you know, that drive is, is the most important feature to, I think when people succeed and they, they will find something that they're good at if they keep going and they have that drive and that, that zeal for like, you know, for doing it, honestly. I mean, Alex, how many podcasts have you done? A lot. Oh, over 200 now. It's awesome. And I think that, you know, speaks to why a lot of people quit because they don't actually like it. You know, yeah. a lot of people will, they're doing it for an ulterior motive or an end. Or, you know, I'm going to win that race. And I'm going to make some money, you know, and then I'm going to like cash out. Now, those are the people that I quit a long time ago. Mm. I'm really very fortunate to like, yeah, just, I just dig it. I mean, I love it. And if, if given like, if I won the lottery, I just kind of tell my friend, is like, you know, if I won the lottery, what would I do? I'd probably do big ass adventures on my bike and travel with yeah. my friend and go and try to see what kind of dumb stuff we can get ourselves into. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. When you were doing those kind of daredevil, like with stairs and stuff, did it ever feel dangerous or did you kind of like that thrill of, you mentioned how you kind of see how far could you take it? Did it ever get dangerous injuries from that perspective? Yeah, I've definitely had a lot of injuries. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, it's always like some crashes or skinned elbow or like, I really was very lucky for a long time. And that actually helped me develop some very, very good skills. Like I was a very fast descender, pretty fearless descender. And I won a lot of races. Um, but then I also sometimes pushed it a little too far. In Costa Rica, I crashed and had a complete maxillary fracture. That's when you have a, a fracture here at a fracture up to the orbital lobe. Um, it was bad. It was a bad crash. I had surgery in Costa Rica. It was very scary. Um, but you know, they fixed my teeth up pretty good. Double fake teeth in the front. Um, uh, you know, I don't look too messed up. I'm just as ugly as I was before. So <laughs> yeah, so it was like a, a real that was a real reality check. And I had like PTSD. I mean, you crash on your face that hard yeah. and you get facial surgery, and like, you know, it was just quite an experience. I remember going to the clinic in Torialba, which is a small village at the base of this volcano. I mean, it sounds like something out of a book, you know, but it's seriously, I'm riding down a volcano on stage two of a three-stage race across Costa Rica called La Ruta de los Conquistadores. And really, um, yeah, I was really lucky to find one of the guys that was working there, helped escort me to the hospital, helped clean the blood off before they looked at me. If it was in the U.S., there would have been a very different protocol. They would have me on a backboard and, like, rolled me into an emergency room and clean me up. But there, it's like, yeah, while you're waiting, you know, go clean up your wounds. I had a big flap of my elbow hanging off. And, uh, yeah, this guy got in the shower with me and was, like, helping clean me up. It was really awesome of him. And uh, But, yeah, I got my face stitched while I was awake. I had, like, cut all the way around. My ear was cut in half, uh, lip was cut, like, uh, and they used the old, you know, the black cat gut stitches, you know, to uh -huh. like 
sew me up. I mean, they're literally holding me down while they're putting a needle like up here underneath my eye, like to sew my face back together. It was like a tool video. It was just the most savage, gnarliest thing I've ever been through. Well, they checked me out a little later, said, okay, we don't think you have a concussion. They don't have a CAT scan there. You know, it's like, it's uh, old school medicine. And, you know, I felt like there was something wrong. They didn't, uh, they didn't uh, diagnose the maxillary fracture, but I pushed up on my tongue and I could feel my palate moving. And Ooh. I was like, I better get checked out at the main hospital. So we drove over the mountains, over the bumps, over the potholes. And my face is shaking in extreme pain. And then I get to um, the clinic there and they did x-rays, maxillary fracture. The surgeon um, did all of his study in LA. He was a really good surgeon. And yeah, it would cost like 25% of the cost to do it in the U.S., and they get a lot of U.S. Um, people and Canadians fly there to get um, cosmetic surgery. So he's also an experienced cosmetic surgeon. And they're like, all right, well, we're going to redo your stitches, too, because you're going to have all kinds of scars if they leave it like that. And they sewed me back up, and I was there for a couple of days. Um, that was a bad one. That was probably my worst crash. A couple other bones, you know, like uh, ischial tuberosity, not the, what was it called? The um, spinous process of my low back. A uh, fracture of my upper back falling over the handlebars in Canada. A um, couple broken fingers, stuff like that. Uh, left ACL, tailbone. Yeah, so a few crashes. But, you know, as I was saying to um, a guy in a race, I was asking about injuries just this last week. And I was like, you know, I also have finished close to 1,300 races. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, there are significant injuries, but I've also won the 100-mile national series, set the fastest American time at Leadville 100, Pan American Games gold medal, 15-time member of the U.S. national team, uh, raced stage races all over the world, I've won races in Europe, South Africa. I mean, it's been really, really cool. It's been really uh, quite, quite wild, but the successes, you know, you have to have failure to, to get to the success and you have to have, you know, setbacks. It's just part of the process. Was mountain biking the main goal that you had for a career path? Or was there ever that when we're asked that dream job of ours that you wanted to go in a different route? No. Dream job was be a mountain bike racer at a professional level. And yeah, it's been, been pretty cool. I look kind of around at the trophies that I have and, you know, I didn't win the Olympics. I got very, very close to going to the Olympics um, in Athens. I was the first alternate, but the, instead of a three person team, they had a two person team that year. And yeah, it was actually the basis for a film called Off-Road to Athens. You can look it up on IMBD. It's, it's kind of hard to find, but if anybody wants a DVD, just send me a message. I'll get one. Uh, Cause I, I know the producer lives down the street. Good friend of mine. <laughs> But yeah, really, really cool experience. I was a rookie. Um, and so, yeah, I've ridden at a very, very high level. Eighth at World Championships. I was fourth at the Olympic Test event in London prior to the Olympics. So I definitely smashed it, like, and I'm very proud of the 
the racing that I've done and the work that I've put in and just as proud of the way I've done it. You know, I think there's a style of which you can do your career and mm-hmm. some people take shortcuts and they're jerks, take drugs. Um, and I, to the contrary, I had to suck it up and watch people who are doping beat me, you know, and get the big contract while I get like the, the scraps and you know i had a chip on my shoulder about that for a while you know i'm like this is obviously really frustrating you know if you're like doing it right you're making the sacrifices you're eating the broccoli and the chicken and you know no dessert and trying to just be super on point for every gain training so hard so dedicated getting there early practicing and then someone's like just completely erasing any effort or any gain that you have and and taking drugs to get there. Um, Yeah. That, that was, was a tough thing for me to digest and, you know, it became a kind of negative thing for me, you know, really um, affected my attitude and, you know, I was kind of like bitter about it and or frustrated with it at least. And I realized that that's only, that's only is self-inflicting at the end. And now that all those guys have retired and I'm, you know, looking back at my career or the most of my career, I still have some fun stuff I do, but you know, sort of like the, the golden years of like going out and just destroying like top riders in the world. Like that, those years I did it right. And I did it clean. I'm very proud of my efforts and I can look back on them and go, you know, I did that. 100%. Yep. There was no question if it was the drugs or if it was, you know, if that made any factor in it. And so, yeah, it's, it's a tough career. You can make a living doing it. You have to be one of the best in America for sure. And among the best in the world. Um, but now, you know, it's kind of changed and, and being able to evolve against those changes has also been a, a pretty big piece of the puzzle. So for me, like as the races evolved and I was doing cross country distance races for the first part of my career, sort of like that 90 minute races you see on Red Bull TV mm-hmm. and then transition to doing the ultra endurance stuff, the stage races, hundred mile races. And that stuff's really, really fun, really adventurous, you know, a lot more adventure travel style mountain biking is kind of what you think of when you think of, Hey, let's go ride over a couple of mountains. Um, but then I also got into this content creation thing and, you know, social media is a really democratizing platform now because if you put something up on YouTube and people like it, it doesn't care if the studio doesn't want people to see it. You mm-hmm. have an audience all of a sudden. And, you know, it's fascinating uh, to see YouTube in particular, podcasts, um, whether it be Strava or Instagram or Facebook, you know, all of these platforms, you know, they have the power to reach millions of people. I mean, there can be... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was doing like this during COVID. I would do this like Tuesday morning coffee chat. And I'm just like talking to people. Like I'm talking to you, Alex, just like for, for chatting and, and social. And, you know, it's like a um, uh, couple fans in like Malaysia. You know, I've sent them stickers and stuff and, and they're they're super into it. It's just like really wild. It's like the world becomes a small place with technology. 
Do you, do you feel with the content creation where you are at your career, it's a great way to be able to still reminisce on the good times and the experiences you had, but help maybe influence a new generation of mountain bike racers and riders and athletes? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really, you know, I haven't, if you look at my Facebook or Instagram, I don't like put these flashback photos of test event at London or here's me doing this 10 years ago. Like, I don't know. I've never been that way. And I don't rest on my laurels. Like when you introed me, I was just like, whoa, I did that. You know, it's <laughs> kind of like still, I don't know. I just compartmentalize it because the only things that you can change are the future. Yeah. The present and the future. And so for me, I'm just doing you know, the best I can with what I have. And I think it's what everybody's doing. Right. I mean, I've, uh, a bum knee and you know like <laughs> it's it's very difficult to do the training i used to do but you know what i am lucky to be able to do it at all yeah so it's it's pretty awesome that i can go out and do a national championship i did the cross country u.s national championship short distance is really not my bag anymore but i went out there and i rode from last place up into the top 20 flatted fell out of the top 20 made the cut didn't get lapped rode back into 17th so 17th not bad for 47 years old i mean these kids are like 22 <laughs> like they were like who is this dude <laughs> but, yeah and no, that's fun and and for endurance and for especially navigation trip preparation things like that i'm better now than i've ever been you know i'm more organized i'm more um patient you know, I, I put the routes with the ideas and I can tell a story, which I think is something that I couldn't do before. There's no way I could hold a camera and manage my hydration and do a race. And now literally I could do a hard race, be in the middle of a pack and just be talking to the camera, completely riding with one hand, no problem. And yeah, I guess that's, uh, that's what I can do right now. And then maybe when I can't really race anymore, I'll write books or I'll run a team or whatever, um, or I'll just manage the impossible routes and then make you go and ride one. <laughs> With all the things you've done as an athlete, you made a lot of sacrifices. Who were the people that were your biggest supporters that kept you going? With all the injuries you mentioned that kept you going because they knew that you had the passion to do this and they didn't want to see you stop. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I mean, my my mom, my grandmother, uh, but most first and foremost, my wife Erin. She's always been by my side with all this, you know, crazy ups and downs. And like, I'm like, trust me, I'll find a sponsor next year. We'll find a team. We'll get back, you know, get get it back going. And you know, there's always those those times in which you're like doubting or or mm -hmm. not sure if you should keep going. And it's been a crazy and wild ride, but yeah, she's been there with me through it, you know, helping me in feed zones, traveling, uh, helping do the website and manage emails, tasks, invoices, uh, and yeah, just getting behind what I do. And sometimes it's not always easy. Sometimes it's not really like, um, an easy thing to work with your partner, you know, that makes it an extra layer of challenge for those that, you know, work with their significant other. 
but it's really, um, I couldn't have done it without her. You know, it's really allowed us to be able to have two wonderful kids, really well taken care of, well-educated, you know, great temperament. And yeah, I don't feel like they've missed out on anything, even though I'm gone for a week at a time. Um, and that's important. I mean, it's super important for me. When you created Impossible Routes, what was the main mission for it? To inspire people. You know, really, we've got this, you know, limited time on the planet. And, you know, we all, we all have, like, huge challenges in our lives. And we'll hit roadblocks. We'll hit, you know, deaths in the family. We'll have self-doubt. We'll have just... You know, when things just line up three in a row, three bad things in a row happen and you just feel like, what is the world conspiring against me? Mm -hmm. I just want people to know they're not alone. I mean, it's like, at first, you know, we did the episode in Hawaii, Impossible Route Hawaii. It was fun. I was like, hey, you know, there's this route. Nobody's done it. You know, starts at the ocean, tops out at 13,400 feet, 70 miles later, goes through volcanic pumice. Uh, streams, canyons, like, let's see if we can do it. But when I stood there, like, on top of the world's biggest volcano, you know, there were some things that really resonated so clear to me. Like, it was like, you could hear a pin drop. And I'm like, wow. And a couple things really hit me is that I'm so profoundly lucky to be able to have just done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also how small our planet is and how fragile it is. Literally, I was standing at the edge of the troposphere, the end of the atmosphere. So it's like an eggshell, thin eggshell that wraps around the entire planet. Like, and there was nothing alive around. Me. It was all tundra because of the elevation, lack of oxygen. And then the layer below, 4,000 feet below where the pine trees stopped, and the tundra flowers began, that was the very highest that things can grow. Mm-hmm. It's a tiny, tiny zone. And that's when you kind of realize, wow, I mean, we were really playing with fire when we destroy habitat or we change the atmosphere, you know. So um, and traveling to all these remote places all over the world, we've seen this human footprint everywhere. I mean, the middle of Montana, like they're mine tailings and crumbled machines. And I mean, you think you're in the middle of the wilderness, but everywhere we've gone, whether it be the solitario in Texas, the middle of this crazy volcanic crater or death road in Bolivia, or, you know, there's no spot on this planet. I mean, save for Antarctica has been at least thus far, mostly spared. I mean, there's, there's, footprints of of humankind everywhere and uh that's one thing that resonated with me that's not the purpose of our our um episode but really the purpose is to inspire people it's like hey this is stuff we love to do actually it's stuff i do like for fun like uh, i'll like put together a crazy route ride to the mountains in west virginia and back and see if i can do it in two days and you know it's a natural extension of what i do and what i like to do um, but it's also really one of those things where I think it can reach people. It can say, Hey, you know, 
we're actually doing a route that we know is probably not possible and no one's ever done it. And we have a very good chance of failing, mm-hmm. but we go anyway. I think that's, there's something in that that's really important. Like when we didn't finish Death Valley, we rode like, we rode our asses off. It's a seven day route goes from South to North, the entire length of Death Valley and Mojave Desert, basically from the border of Mexico and Yuma, all the way up to like the equivalent distance of San Francisco. Like it's a massive 750 mile route with like 120,000 feet of climbing or something, pushing the bike through sand and cactus and no water. <laughs> it's just terrible. Like it's nuts. Um, but we, you know, get to this like fifth day and we knew we're not going to make it. And, and I had the, the Garmin in reach and I'm like, you know, texting the team to come pick us up. We're, we're done. We're, we're out. And it was that moment. I was like, this, we're, we're quitters, you know, we, we like didn't make it, you know, we're like loading the, the bikes into the truck at like 1130 at night, having ridden as far as we could with no water for hours, you know, and it's kind of like there's thoughts of failure. There's thoughts of like, we didn't do it. And, but then I thought, you know, we set out, we did our best and that's, that's all that counts. And I think when you look at like the challenges we face in life, you just need to step up and you just need to swing, you know, and get those fears out of your head, get those moments of doubt out of your head. Cause you know what, if you try your best, it doesn't matter. You just, you know, swing for the fence, give it your best, do what you can and keep moving every day. Out of all the places you've done an impossible route, which one is the most memorable one so far? Most memorable. I'd say Hawaii, uh, the the origin story, the the episode that we did in Hawaii, which is the impossible route. Uh, That's the name of the route. And we borrowed the name for the entire series since it just, I don't know, it worked. That one was really cool because, you know, I was the athlete, you know, this retired tough guy pro. And then this YouTuber, you know, I knew he was going to get a lot of views and it was going to be a great video to produce. But I also knew he probably wasn't going to make it. It just, he was struggling. You know, once we hit like 9,000 feet, he's having trouble breathing. And he was like having all these doubts. He lays down on the ground. He's like, almost tapped out like this close and then he thought you know what's it gonna be like to look back at yesterday and say i quit mm-hmm. you know and he came up with this concept of the future me you know what would the future me feel like if i quit now and he kind of talked himself into just keeping going and just trying just trying and and he made it within three minutes of like our cutoff time um so the road closes at sunset anybody that's found on the road they pick them up in a vehicle and bring you down and you're not allowed to be up there um on the road after sunset so he made it and it was really cool it was really a proud moment he really pushed but he also did something else that i wasn't expecting he impressed me and you know he's he's kind of like a 
you know, he's kind of, he was a little immature, you know, he's kind of like this social media blowhard, you know, kind of like self-promoting. I'm more like the kind of person naturally that if I do something like I might talk about it, but I'm not going to like promote it on the internet. Like it's a press release. Mm -hmm. Look at me. It's just, (laughs) it's not really my style. Um, So he really stepped it up. That, that was a really neat moment. And I mean, Death Valley also was really fantastic because uh, no one had ridden this route. And it's a very, very, very difficult route over the course of a week. And to see that much desert, I mean, that changes a person. (laughs) That changes a person. It's like, wow. You know, I can't dump water out of a cup into the sink now. I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to waste that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> give me that <laughs> with doing all these routes has it made you a better writer in a different way than being an athlete has it trained you mentally physically emotionally in a different way so that in the future when you're doing another version of those routes you're more prepared than you were before 100 percent. yeah it's mostly mental you know the overlap it's mostly mental, but physically, I'd never done a 300-mile nonstop ride before. And that's one of the things we did in the West Texas episode. We rode 310 miles, and not a fast 310 miles. Like, carrying your bike through cactus, like, walking down ravines, like, going through sand, like, pushing up mountains. And that changes your reality. Mm-hmm. And you go, holy shit. Like if I wanted to right now, I could ride to New York city from central Virginia. That's 300 miles. And then you're like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like really, it's really kind of a, a neat thing. You know, you, you sort of set these self uh, expectations, you know, the glass ceiling we set for ourselves, but the biggest thing, the impossible routes has taught me is that everybody has another gear. Yeah. It's just sometimes it's necessity that makes us get there. And so for me, the commitment of doing the impossible routes, that's like, okay, okay. I change. Like when when we get a mission and we're like, all right, we're locked and loaded. Here's the route. Here's the plan. Here's the game. Here's the time limit. Like, boom, I am like sharp. I'm, you know, charging my stuff i'm like just i don't know in the mode like i am just (laughs) locked in whereas like my natural mode to be completely honest is pretty lazy like okay well i work for myself so i can work at like 7 p.m or i can work at 6 p.m so if i want to sleep in, i can sleep in like does that hurt anybody as long as i just do the work so yes i get pretty lazy like i am naturally gonna wake up and want to make some pancakes with with bananas and just <laughs> sit on the back porch and you know push the commitments farther and farther back or maybe i'll do that tomorrow but when i set a commitment it's that commitment and discipline because everybody's got motivation problems i mean yeah. that means you're human basically but it's commitment that sets you to the task 
And then it's discipline that keeps you on the rails and makes things happen no matter what. And discipline is something that's very trainable. It starts with like, okay, I am going to go to bed at 10 every night this week. And that's okay. Well, that's easy. Just, you know, put my phone down, read a book. All right. I'm going to bed at 10. But then that discipline can go to, all right, well, I'm going to run 20 minutes or exercise 20 minutes a day before work at 5 a.m. And then that's a commitment. And then you're like, okay. And once you're like, dang, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really good. I'm like getting out the door on time. I go to work. I feel like a million bucks. I've lost five pounds in the last couple of weeks. Then all of a sudden that discipline can go to something else. Hey, I'm going to save a hundred bucks a week. Like, you know, and this just sort of snowballs into being a mental juggernaut and being able to say, I have a steering wheel to my life. You know, I can take this where I want to go it with it and, and nothing's going to stop me. Like that is really a hallmark of the successful people I've met. They don't know. No, they don't know. Uh, it might not happen. Like, it's just really fascinating, the mindset of people that, like, are high achievers. And that mindset, everybody can get there once they start small. I'm not kidding. It's like small steps, and then you're you're suddenly sucked into that feeling of commitment and success. You know what I mean? And I think it's really, it's really cool. It's really uh, something the Impossible Rouse has taught me as well. Um. And that that has really transformed mentally and physically. It's been a big transformation. With yeah. impossible routes, has there ever been a new idea that has sparked in your mind that you're like, I really want to pursue this eventually in the future? Or do you feel that you want to focus on one task at a time and really develop it and really grow it to how far you can get it? Well, I feel like it's had several phases, you know, the initiation phase, then like, okay, mastery phase of like what we're currently doing. And I think we hit that pretty well last year. Like we were able to nail a really incredible episode in France. We had a good shooting team. We've got about eight different people we work with, uh, maybe like 12, 15 people when you account like accounting and like graphic design and Mm -hmm. folks at Canyon that help us. But um, yeah, it's, been in the back of my head hey we want to get new characters on on the show and honestly like we've got this awesome platform we've got sponsors like canyon um and i think it's really need to open it up and say hey you know we've evolved and tyler has gone from zero to hero i mean he's gone from local racer and youtuber to successful ultra endurance rider in fact he won the u.s national ultra championships 500 mile race across oregon just last week so he's no beginner anymore and that was a really fun part of the story you know i'm like trying to teach him and show him and inspire him and like you know teach him these mental tricks but now he's getting pretty locked in he's pretty good so that's why we're going to do our sierra eliminator i'm not sure if that's going to be the name of it it's going to be sierra eliminator or like some version of that sierra challenge i don't know 
but we're going to have open casting call for our next episode in which we have applicants, you know, submit a resume. They're like, hey, I've got a, you know, illustrious background doing adventure racing, not really a mountain biker or, or road cyclist, but I want to jump in there. You know, they might be a really good candidate. Or it might be someone that's really, really good on social media that's very entertaining, it's funny, also an athlete. They might be a good mix. Or maybe it's a, um, uh, who knows. But um, we're going to have this on the 16th and 17th of October, roughly. And it's going to be really fun. And Tyler and I get to step back. So we're going to ride the course. We've made the course. It's going to have all these pitfalls and challenges. So it's kind of like a video game. And I want to see cool. if these people can get through it. You know, see if they can make it. And that's going to be fun. And for a change, we won't have to, like, destroy ourselves. You know, <laughs> some of these, we get pretty deep into the hurt box. And, you know, we really push ourselves to, yeah, pretty deep level. <laughs> so, how, how long is a recovery for you? Like, after- all depends. I went, uh, the truth be told, I had a really, really good day at Telluride for our episode, the Telluride Hell Ride. It's a freaking nightmare of a route. I mean, it's at like 12,000, 13,000 feet, rubble, a lot of it's hiking. It was just hideous. I mean, stupid route. We, uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you whether we made it or not. You have to watch the episode, but. The, the next day, you know, I had to move. I just had my coffee. I was like awake and I was like, I got to get out and like move a little bit. So I went for a little jog and like, I was like, so really surprised. It didn't feel too bad. Typically for me, I start to feel good after about a week, you know, like we, we dig pretty deep into the hole, you know, create some muscle damage sometimes. And what we do is not always healthy. You know, it's a little borderline, usually about a week. Yeah. When you're not mountain biking, sometimes our listeners like to learn even more about our guests. What do you like to do for fun that maybe people don't know that you like to do? Well, we just got a cockapoo, which is like a cocker Aww. spaniel, a poodle mix. His name is Woody. He's the cutest thing you've ever seen. Um, playing with the kids, Conrad and Beatrix, you know, we, we like to go fishing. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, a lot of people would probably be surprised to hear I could do something sedentary. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I enjoy that. I like doing trail work. Um, so a lot of the single track mountain bike trails, I mean, all of them need a tremendous amount of maintenance or when you create them, they're very, very uh, laborious. If you're making a really nice purpose built trail with berms and rocks and features. Um, and so I really enjoy doing trail work and things like that. And yeah, I like reading. Um yeah, I kind of dig the history books and it's a big part of the research for some of these episodes. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's forced me to to learn more about the world and to better understand the past is to better understand the future and to better navigate, yeah, the, the things you're going to see. And so it's been really cool to read a bunch of books and kind of dig into that. And so in the off season, that's kind of like when I write the episodes and read the books and kind of dig into the lore you know and like get mm-hmm. the nitty-gritty of like the the old railroad tunnels that you know used to go under the appalachian mountains or the old military roads we want to do this episode in italy called strada militaire 
And it's all the military roads that were built uh, the early 1900s and late 1800s. And yeah, just crazy border roads up on the, on the Alps, like tunnels and crazy road works and ramparts and really pretty fascinating history behind all that stuff. So yeah, I kind of dig that, uh, that history element and yeah, just anything outdoors, you know, some hiking, some, I don't know. I really don't have a whole lot of hobbies. Not a whole <laughs> lot of hobbies. <laughs> Has your kids gotten involved with mountain biking where you guys can do it as a family? Yeah. Yeah. We can go on a family bike ride now. We actually, I don't think we've done a family mountain bike ride in a while. Cause I mean, Beatrix is, you know, my daughter's nine and my son is 14. So he's like able to go and thrash pretty good. And my wife is an avid rider. Um, but you know, it's work. It's kind of like, let's go get in the canoe, you know, do something yeah, else. Something different. Yeah. Something a little different. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun. And, and, yeah, Beatrix has gotten really into riding her mountain bike, and she she really enjoys uh, enjoys riding, which is really cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's important not to push them towards it. Yeah. So it's like I just, hey, if they want to get a new bike, I'll be like, all right, we can find you a new bike. <laughs> I'll make sure that they they have as much of it much of it as they want, but yeah. also I don't want to push. I see a lot of parents like push their kids too much and you want to inspire them and you want to push them a little bit. You just want to like get that, you know, get the wheels turning yep. that you can do something and having a focus is important. Uh, and so like my son's been cross country running and uh, gets good grades in schools on the junior honor society. And yeah, I mean, I don't care if it's volleyball or whatever, um, it'd be really awesome if it was mountain biking, but we just went to the gym today for the first time and it was really fun, you know, just to do a little workout in there, kind of show him what I do. Um, I really don't do a whole lot in the gym, just like two days a week of like maintenance work, but it's so cool. Like it was really fun. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll do a little bit more of that. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Never give up. You know, I think that persistence is the most important thing. Again, like I said, I, I, I love doing what I do and that's helped because even when things seem to be at a roadblock, you know, keep going, you got to keep going and you have to, I mean, you have to also know when something's, you know, you have to walk away from it. That's a really wise thing to do. Uh, but most things take way more effort than you think. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain, there's a certain breakthrough point and you don't know where it is. It's kind of like behind a curtain and it might be one more effort or it might be a hundred more efforts to get there. So I guess that is you have to believe in the process, trust the process. Well, Jeremiah, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Well, anybody who's looking to find out more, check out 
my website, jeremiahbishop.com, or even better, check out theimpossibleroute.com for more on the inspiring documentary series starring myself and the vegan cyclist. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to get a full-length episode in video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.